Hello, and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show. I'm your host, Eric Devin. Joining me are regular panelists Nathan Staples, Adam White, and Peter Bowler. Leon were seemingly handed the perfect opportunity to record a result at home to Juventus as former Marseille man Mario Lamino was sent off early in the second half. However, substitute Juan Cuadrado struck 15 minutes from time to give the visitors three points, with Gianluigi Buffon rolling back the ears and pulling off several fine saves, including from Alexander Lacazette from the spot. Monaco were also in action Tuesday and left it late again to snatch a draw in Moscow. Their own low knee, Lacina Traore, had opened the scoring in the first half before Bernardo Silva equalized the three minutes remaining. The Monegasques do remain, however, in first place in the group thanks to a draw between Bayer Leverkusen and Tottenham. On Wednesday, Paris Saint-Germain defeated FC Basel 3-0 at the Parc des Princes. Angel Di Maria scoring for the first time this season for Lucas Moore and Edson Cavani made the margin a bit more comfortable. And earlier this evening, Nice won 1-0 at Salzburg thanks to an early goal from Alessandro Playa. Saint-Étienne, meanwhile, hosted Kabbalah, who were last seen eliminating Lille in the third qualifying round. But Leverts avenged their, their French compatriots with a 1-0 win to boost their chances of qualification, thanks to a Ricardinho own goal. And finally, Frank McCourt has wasted no time in making the first managerial change of the league on season, with the former Lille and Roma boss Rudy Garcia set to take over at Marseille. So uh, we, I am going to pass the mic, as it were, to Nathan quickly, as we're going to speak about uh, Leon's 1-0 loss to Juventus at the Parco L on Tuesday. Yeah, and Eric, it, it was a heartbreaking loss for, for Leon in the end. And you've already mentioned some of the bits from it, like um, Mario Lemina being sent off. They now face that difficult trip in two, week time, two weeks' time in uh, Italy. Was this a case of the team not taking the chances that they were presented, or was it simply as, as Twitter exploded with an impressive performance from the uh, effervescent Gianluigi Buffon? I think a little bit of both. I think that uh, I think about uh, Taliso's header that Buffon did well to save from a free kick in the second half, uh, and there were a couple times uh, Diacabi had a free header as well uh, that was off target, but but really strongly delivered from a corner. Uh, so Leon did have their chances, but I mean Buffon, you know, the discussion on Twitter is, you know, is he the best goalkeeper in the world still at this age? Uh, Norris never tested, et cetera, et cetera. On this evidence, I mean, there's really not much you can you can say about that. Lacazette's penalty was a little bit weak. Uh, I will say that uh, he he seemed to open up his body a little bit too much uh, on the delivery and made it, and delivered it without a whole lot of power. And Buffon was able to get down to save that. But yeah, on the whole, it was it was really yeah, the Italian's night uh, for someone who's turning 39 uh, in the new year. It just Really, an incredible performance, especially in the wake of uh, a couple of uneven uh, nights for Juventus and for Italy as well. Uh, so, it's going to be difficult to see Leon uh, getting a, a road to qualification at this point, but uh, just a really an incredible performance from Buffon. Yeah, who is undeniably still one of the best keepers in the world, even at that, even as the years keep advancing. But um, you've mentioned Alexandre Lacazette there. He, he missed that penalty, and it wasn't the greatest penalty in the world. And he struggled to get involved after that as well. Was starting him the wrong choice with Rashid Gazal and, and Matteo Varbaina available on the bench? I think so. I, I understand why Genesio started him. Obviously, there's his goal scoring record, but. Also, there's one thing that I think Lacazette sometimes does not get enough trouble for, or credit for, I should say, uh, and that's his defensive acumen playing as a striker, applying pressure to uh, the opposing defenses. And he he was not at the races in terms of that either. Uh, Benucci repeatedly had too much time on the ball to deliver the long-raking passes that he does so well. 
Um, so in addition to his failure to really link up and find space with Fakir, uh, there wasn't really a, a whole lot of cohesion between the two of them. Uh, Lacazette wasn't at his best defensively either. It was a pretty disappointing evening from the striker. Uh, didn't really have any, any clear-cut chances, uh, but also wasn't really doing anything off the ball to, to help, uh, help out his teammates either. Uh, whether that's fitness, whether that's confidence, whether that's the occasion. Again, this is the first big European match that's, that's been held at Parco well. I mean, no disrespect to Dinamo Zagreb, but let's be honest, the difference uh, between them and Juventus is, is a, a country mile, as they say. So, uh, yeah, it was a little bit frustrating. I think that, you know, Genesio was probably under pressure to start him, but coming back from injury, he definitely was not at his sharpest and, and probably should have been an op- option off the bench on 60 minutes, say. Yeah, he didn't. I don't think he looked fully fit on the evening, really. But finally, should Genesio have opted away from that three-five-two? It didn't really seem to suit the way that 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 at least against Juventus they were setting up almost identically. Yeah, I, I do think there were some problems with this. I think that Diacabi played a great match in, as part of the back three. Uh, I think the defense actually did pretty well, but <sighs> without Rebus there. Uh, to be able to shuttle back and forth and to be an attacking option, it just really wasn't coming off. I, you know, I love that work, work rate and ethic of Jeremy Morel, but he just does not offer enough going going forward. And it was the same problem that we'd seen at Sevilla, where Jordi Gaspar was on the other side, that the three five two for it to really work at its best, uh, both of those wingbacks need to be uh, shuttling up and down the pitch and being able to offer both a genuine attacking threat and a, and a degree of solidity in defense. And Morel... Did decently well defensively, but offered next to nothing going forward. And too much of the onus was placed on Rafael uh, to create the attacks. And it was too easy for, for Sandro to to track back. And Patrice Evra, you know, and, and I should also say, played a really lovely match against him. Uh, it was a surprise to see the uh, see, see the French former French international at this point uh, being played as part of a back three. But uh, he really took that took that job very seriously and, and didn't... Uh, didn't stray too far from from uh, from his mark, and I think he was really integral to a lot of Leon's frustrations. Uh, so in general, yeah, I think they probably should have gone with a four three three. That system worked really well uh, from the off uh, when Genesio had taken over midway through last season, and given the personnel available to him, I think that probably would have made more sense in, on the evening uh, with with Gonalon essentially along with uh, Toliso and Dardare and Morel and Raphael, uh, probably yeah. with with Corne or Jezal, uh opposite Fakir. Yeah, and it it's, it's such a frustrating thing that you don't get these kind of opportunities against big teams very often, and you kind of have to seize them in the moment. And it now means it's going to be a difficult chance for Leon to sort of qualify now. But I'll hand the reins back over to you, Eric, as we as we carry on chatting about the rest of the Champions League fixtures over this week. Yeah, let's move on to the other match that was held on Tuesday. That was Moscow's, uh, sorry, Moscow hosting Monaco, Seska Moscow. Uh, Nathan, let's start with the hosts. You watched this match. Much was made in the buildup of the absences of uh, Roman Aramenko and Alan Jagoev. But how did Seska function and attack? Did this 4-2-3-1 stack up and was it effective? Yeah, it, it, we we made a lot, and I made a lot in my um, piece for the site that that missing two players the size of Zagoev and and. Aramenko, you can't deny, is is vitally important because they're so big to their team. I mean, Aramenko is one of their top scorers. Zagwev, we've seen in the past, is is a really creative player. So you were wondering where that 
spark would come from? Um, would it come from someone like Tosage or Golovin or you know, one of these younger Russian players that they have hopes for? When you also stack up that Lucina Traore is playing at centre forward for them, you think when you've seen him at Monaco in the past, playing against his parent club, um, that he's he doesn't really offer too much. But they were pretty good. I I thought, um, especially in the first half, CSK for long periods after the first say 15 minutes where they sort of had a feeling out period they they were really on top and i thought that uh, monaco really struggled to get a real firm foothold in the game the, the first 15 minutes they probably should have they probably should have given something with um, the amount of dominance that they really had on the ball at least but they allowed csk to settle they allowed them to start making little moves with with Tosic and Nacho in that um, that um, sort of wandering role and and got more involved. And then the goal comes from Traore. It's a, it's a little lucky, but Subacic should looked a little bit suspect before that. A couple of... He made a couple of clearances as players got in behind, but they were pushing shove. He was maybe a little late to one of them. I, he could have maybe given away a penalty on the second one to Tosic. It's a... It's a strange challenge. He sort of dives in and doesn't touch the ball, but it's, it's very strange. <laughs> but yeah, I was surprised by how effective CSK were without those two very important players for them. They still managed to create chances, especially in that first half. They sort of faded a little bit in the second half. Um, but yeah, they they really impressed me with how they stuck to their jobs and knowing that um, they needed a victory in this one that they, they went all out for it. Although, um, obviously, there was heartbreak for them, them at the end with the fabulous goal from Bernardo. Defensively, this team kept their good form up, I would say, Seska, that is. But, Peter, are there, are there signs that Monaco can get at them in different ways in the next match? I would think so, yeah. I mean, um, I think it was quite interesting that they lined up with a 4-3-3 um, against Seska Moscow. I was surprised by that, especially as a lot of their success so far this season has come with... Uh, having more than one body up front. Um, I thought Germain looked a little bit isolated in that game, actually. And I, I do wonder if maybe if they'd gone for something like a, a 4-4-1-1 or a 4-4-2 with uh, Bernardo Silva and uh, Germain uh, as a partnership up front, perhaps they, they would have uh, done a little bit better. Um, I, th I think they missed a trick there, really. Uh, Moscow's weakness for me is their centre-backs, uh, Berezutsky and Ignashevich. Apologies to any Russian listeners who I've just offended with my horrible pronunciation. Um, but th they're so slow. Um, and I would have thought that sticking you know, multiple, multiple strikers up front would have, would have helped to um, really utilise that fact. But no, they, they really intended to push down the flanks instead and, and try and trouble the fullbacks. And um, I, I thought this was a mistake, really, as Moscow are actually quite good in the wide areas. So, yeah, I think going forward, um, they might want to, to maybe study their opponents a little bit better and look at their weaknesses, because for me, against Moscow, they were glaringly obvious. Um, but Jardim's a smart guy. Obviously, Moscow have done very, very, um, sorry, Monaco have done very, very well this season and continue to do so. They're grinding out results. So, um, yeah, I think he'll get it right next time for sure. Nathan, the big question I think in terms of the lineup uh, with uh, Nabildiro still absent was with both Benjamin Mendy and Jabril Sidibe fit. Was it a surprise to see Andrea Rashi starting given the money spent on the t the two young fullbacks this summer? Yes and no. I mean, I, I personally, and and from um, a f at least 
talent sort of view, you would start both Mendy and Sidibe because I've never quite seen the usefulness of Raja. But uh, Leonardo Jardim has used him in the Champions League regularly as the right back, uh, as a sort of security blanket so they don't push too far forward like they tend to do in, in the league. But... It, was it the right decision in the end? I, I don't think he had the greatest game. He did come off for Mendy after 69 minutes and that was probably the right decision. And Mendy was better getting forward and, and switching Sidibe to his more natural position, although we all know how successful he was at left-back for Lille last season. Um, yeah, it does. It will, at, least to, at least to the normal view, it will seem strange that you keep playing Raji. And, and I, I personally feel that Raji's... While he's competent defensively and he's good in the air, which is a bonus um, compared to obviously both of them with him being more of a centre-back, um, he doesn't offer enough for me going forward often enough at least. He he can join in and he's a willing runner, but he's not the greatest crosser of a ball. Um, he's a bit lethargic and if he does push forward, he because of his lack of pace compared to the other two. He does struggle to get back with speed if play teams break on them, which is what CSK did for most of this game, of playing a sort of sort of a strange counter-attack game for a, for a um, home team. You usually obviously see the home team be more dominant. But uh, yeah, in the future at least, I would prefer to see Sidibe on the right and Mondi playing left-back if they're both fit. But um, <laughs> you can't disagree that so far in the Champions League, Leonardo Jardim's got it absolutely right. Although... They Monaco would have absolutely loved to win in this game. Um, they a win next week gives them a real platform um, because of the draw in the other game. But um, yeah, it's difficult to argue with Jardim's decisions when he's getting results. Just finally, Peter, what about Jardim's tactics? Would you prefer a four-four-two with, say, maybe Kylian Mbappe alongside Valerjemen? Uh, they would, I think, with a younger player, his pace and energy would maybe do a little bit better to stretch Ignatievich and Berezutsky, or was a slightly more cautious approach, more sensible away from home in terms of keeping possession. Yeah, I can see what you mean. Um, obviously, they're the away team and they want to try and control as much of the ball and, and stop Moscow from attacking because I think, like Nathan alluded to, that's what we thought they were going to do. Um, but they did set up strangely. The Russian side, despite you know doing well in their own league, didn't come at Monaco quite in the way that we thought they would. And, and I, I don't think it quite worked out there. Um, which is obviously telling in the result. For me, when I've watched Monaco play, I've been really impressed whenever I've seen Bernardo Silva just play off the striker. I really like the way that he creates space and um, he's a very skillful, uh, very talented young player. So for me, as I think I mentioned earlier, I would be maybe looking at a 4-4-1-1 um, with, with Silva playing off your man. Um, but like I, like I said, I think Jardim will get it right next time. He's obviously a smart guy. Um, Monaco looked like such a different team to com compared to last season. And the fact that they've obviously managed to uh, keep hold of players like Fabinho as well was just um, really, really added to that. So, yeah, I think going forward, um, there's a lot to like about this Monaco side. Yeah, that 4-4-1-1 will certainly be easier. Uh, Nabil Dirar should be back to play on the right uh, in the next match. So moving on now to uh, Paris Saint-Germain's defeat of Basel. Uh, Adam, let's start with you. Basel hit the woodwork three times, had another handful of scuffed or sliced shots. The Swiss side have been a thorn in the side of bigger clubs in the recent past, but their performance uh, seemed more down to PSG's defense. What was the problem yesterday? 
Um, I think the problem was, was twofold. Um, I, I spoke to our, our Swiss analyst here at Football Radar earlier in the day about the game, and, and he was furious. He felt that Basel deserved or did enough to deserve a point, um, which I, I tend to agree with in some regards, at least. I think the problem was that, one, yes, you're right, defensively PSG were a little bit suspect yesterday, complacent perhaps, um, lost markers from dead balls and set pieces and crosses, and they were definitely... Uh, out-muscled and, and outgunned in, in those areas from, from, from Basel. I think it was something that they, they noticed Basel. They hit pitch in the counter-attack and they did play to those sort of strengths of theirs where they, they got a lot of balls into the box. And I think at least two of the chances they hit the post were, were from headers. So um, it's obviously something that, that they noticed because I don't think PSG really faced too many crosses in Liga and it's not something that they are accustomed to defending. Obviously, players like Marquinhos and Thiago Silva are both world-class, if, at least in Thiago Silva's case, Marquinhos is not far from that. Um, centre-backs, so they should be able to deal with this kind of thing, but perhaps uh, a degree of rustiness from, from their point of view played into Basel's hands and, and they were able to get lots of crosses in and, and, and cause PSG problems in, in those areas. But I, I, I think Basel deserves some credit. Okay, PSG were a bit, a bit lax defensively, but the Basel set up well. They, they, they tried to focus on where PSG were, were weak, um, not just in those from crosses, but the way they sat back, the, the wider players pulling in by the sprint alongside the fullbacks defensively to form like a six across the back and then hit them on the break. Um, I think Basel deserved deserve some credit and 3-0 is possibly the most flattering scoreline we've seen in the Champions League this season today. I, I, I don't know if PSG really deserved, deserved that margin of victory and um, I think perhaps that's something that they'll look at next time, especially for the away leg because the Swiss League, there are a lot of crosses so I think it's something perhaps Basel were used to both dealing with and applying in their own game. So I think perhaps when they go away, Basel very good at home and of course English teams notably so in recent years problems and others at home. I think that's something they have to look at. So I don't think it's entirely down to PSG's defensive sort of complacency yesterday but Basel played well and, and, and they exploited what they saw as some weaknesses for PSG. So Lucky to win 3-0, but some, still some stuff to work on in, in, in a, at a higher level in the Champions League for me. Nathan, Edwin Rabio had a fine match on the way to the midfield three, at least in my opinion, with Verratti uh, playing the deep-lying role. The two essentially swap positions from their habitual uh, roles for this match. Talk to me about the effect of that switch and uh, whether this is PSG's best eleven. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a good idea to, to give Rabio more freedom to join the attacks in that more slightly more advanced role, at least. He works best as a box-to-box player. He's got the energy to work back and forth um, and, and link the attacks. And he had a couple of good long-range strikes. He was maybe unlucky to, if he'd got one on target and tested the keeper a little bit better, that, that would have improved. But I thought he had a really good game, really. And when he gets involved, he can be really, really impressive. And, and again, the same thing for, for, for Verratti. He's... I think he's a much better playing as a deep lying playmaker and dictating the play, um, still breaking up attacks as well because he, he's, <laughs> let's say, tenacious might be the best way to describe <laughs> Verratti's style um, without being too uncomplimentary about his uh, regular um, appearance in the referee's notebook as a booking. But um, whether this is the best 11, uh, no. Um, I think if you're going to play 4-3-3 with PSG and, and and those two, I would rather see Krakowiak as a defensive midfielder, allowing Verratti a little bit more space to create and dictate play from a different area. Yes, he may have slightly less options because he doesn't have Matuidi in front of him, but at the same time, Verratti... Um, as he openly admits himself, he takes risks with the ball because of his style of play. Um, and if you're playing as a defensive midfielder like that, if you lose the ball, then you're 
um, the opponents are right on your back four, and that's uh, a nightmare for defenders, and uh, that just simply won't last. So I prefer Krakowiak if they're going to play four through three, or uh, heaven forbid, play Thiago. But I would prefer Krakowiak with Verratti and Rabio in the middle, on current form at least as well. Um, but they still need to sort out what they're doing with that front three. I thought uh, Di Maria scores, but he, I, again, he's very ineffectual. Um, I thought Cavani looked better at least, but overall they were they were battered by this Basel side, especially in the first half, I thought. Um, it was a, another unassuming performance of PSG that really need, just needs something. And they just need a... Um, oh, Probably what us English say would a good kick up the arse, maybe it might be the right thing to say. They just need it, just seems like they're not reacting to these defeats they've had in League and bits. Then they just need a bit of oomph back into their play, especially in the Champions League, because performances like this in the knockout rounds will see them eliminated because teams will punish them more heavily than unfortunately and unluckily Basel did um, on uh, Wednesday evening. Right, moving on to the Europa League. Let's start with today's earlier match. Nathan, staying with you. Nice took a deserved lead, uh, but really had a difficult time absorbing uh, Salzburg's pressure. What was missing uh, as they as they tried to maintain their lead? I thought they did a reasonable job defensively um, for the majority of this game. Salzburg had a couple of chances, but nothing incredibly clear cut. And when they did, it was straight at Johan Cardinal. They really lack a spark, and they've struggled in in Austria this season. Um, but I thought the thing that they were lacking to maintain that lead was um, a bit more from Alisson Player. He struggled to hold the ball up on occasions and that allowed Salzburg to keep coming at Nice and forcing them to spend even more, which pulled Dalbert and, and, and um, Pereira further back, especially in the second half. Um, and he struggled after the goal. He scores a really nice goal, which is a terrible mistake by Wisdom and, and the the other centre-back to allow him the, the, the such an easy opportunity and he sticks it between the goalkeeper's legs. But he has two other opportunities in the second half to, to really kill off this game and he misses both. Um, and it's it's a real shame. I thought I thought the, the one player I would like to highlight who hasn't played often off of Nice this season is uh, Matthew Bodmer. I thought he was excellent uh, in that defensive midfield role. He calmed the play down. Uh, he kept possession nicely. Uh, didn't try and do anything too overly complicated. Um, and then they brought him off and Seri did exactly the same. And that was exactly the kind of thing they needed this evening. They got a, a relatively early goal, sat on it, and, and knew that Salzburg probably didn't have the confidence or the the ability maybe to, to push on and, and pull themselves back into the game. But this is... You mentioned in a tweet, actually, Eric, that they, they were slightly depleted without um, starting Belondo or Balotelli wasn't with the squad and uh, without Jean-Michel Seri. But... They showed a little bit more about their depth, I thought, and this result now, if they get another one um, next week, uh, sorry, two weeks' time in Nice, um, they might be back in it if, if Schalke won this evening. So um, if they can beat Krasnodar again when that game goes back to Germany, then there's an open spot for Nice if they can beat the Russians at home. So... Um, <laughs> questions for Favre now, because yeah, obviously the league's got to be the focus, but... Um, yeah, they they made it a little bit more complicated for themselves in a weird way this evening. Yeah, that five-two loss is going to be a little bit difficult to overcome if it does come down to head-to-head between themselves and Krasnodar. Uh, so we're going to move on now to the, the match that just ended about half an hour ago here. 
And that's Saint-Étienne's 1-0 defeat of uh, Kabbalah. Peter, this match was less than riveting. Uh, Saint-Étienne were really wasteful. Uh, one particular culprit was Usama Tanan, who continues his poor start to the season after having looked really impressive after coming over from the Dutch League at mid in uh, January last season. Is this down to the yeah. way he's being used, or is there something else at play here? Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure on that one, to be honest. I mean, he still looks like a, a decent player to me because he's got all the want in the world, especially uh, going forward. He's one of those players that, um, as a fan, you love to watch because he picks the ball up, he, he faces the opponent's goal, and he goes for it, and that's great. The problem, as you alluded to, Eric, is that he's just so wasteful. Um, and funnily enough, that was uh, kind of a theme for Sittetian this evening. Um, so many squandered chances, um, despite quite a lot of good play, especially in the wide areas. I thought Monet Paquet was um, particularly impressive, somebody I'm a big fan of. And, um, Save as well, the, the, the loanee from, I think it's Newcastle. Um, he was really impressive as well. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure with Tanan. I, I like him. He was impressive in the Eredivisie. Uh, and there's definitely a good player in there somewhere. But if he continues to squander chances like he did tonight, he'll find himself on the bench, especially when uh, Roman Hamouma uh, gets back into the team. Adam, coming to you finally to wrap up our European section of the show. With Mainz and Anderlecht having drawn, three teams in this group are now level on five points. Is Galte right to prioritize this competition? Sorry, don't you repeat that? You cut out. Yep. Uh, with Mainz and, Mainz and Anderlecht having drawn, three teams in this group are now level on five points. Is Galtier right to prioritize this competition? Um, I, I think possibly. I think Galtier is under pressure this season to, to, to develop in both domestic terms and European terms. I think that he has been his longest-serving manager in the league and this is something that's developed every, every year and they progressed until the last couple of years where they've really kind of tread the board a little bit, especially in the league and they've done a bit better in, in Europe. They, uh, they went out of the just a couple of years ago and then made through and they're very unlikely to go against Basel last year. But I think um, there is an expectation from higher up the club for him to go quarterfinals, towards the quarterfinals in the Europa League, which given Zanetikin's form and their squad and perhaps the results of this space, although they're obviously a very big competition, to say the least. I think it's possible if they're going to get the best out of the place and they avoid the injury plans that they had last week. But I think the reason that he's kind of been resting players, especially at the this weekend in the end, and then sort of looking towards this game, is because winning this game is huge. They really, after the two draws, they needed this win. Um, going at the group stages would be a, a massive aggression for them and, and what's expected of Gautier. So he's really got a balance league and, and Europa League um, for the rest of the campaign, which is going to be difficult. Although they've got, they've got a decent size squad, obviously. It's something he's going to look at. I don't know if he's prioritising the Europa League overall. Definitely this week, it looks like he has decided to prioritise the Europa League because we need to get through the group stage. I honestly think they were to go out of the group stages here. And perhaps their league form continues like it has been. It's been pretty poor, but they're scraping a good half decent start to the season with lots of late goals. I mean, they, 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 they shouldn't have got a draw against Fusion really at the weekend. Fusion were relatively comfortable for a lot of that game, depending on the arms length. So I think um, for now, it could easily, going forward, sorry, it could easily unravel for Gatun. If they were to go out, he could be under pressure quite quickly. So. I think this week he's definitely right to prioritise it, but going forward, I think we'll try and balance it too because they need to both push towards the top three and get out of this group and go beyond. So it's it's going to be a tough season for him and, and he, he may end up having to prioritise the league if they get a point in the league. So definitely uh, worth prioritising this week, they need the win. 
All right, Adams, experiencing a bit of uh, audio difficulty there. Hopefully that was able to come across. So we are now moving on to our league uh, uh, preview part. And we're going to a quick update on our prediction standings. Adam, despite having missed two weeks ago, had a, a, a great job last week. He got one, sc- one score right and two results right. Uh, it takes him into second place on 14 points. Nathan is still our runaway leader on 21. Well, Peter and I are uh, in the relegation zone. I don't know which one of us has goal difference. <laughs> <laughs> at, uh, at 12 points each, again, it's three points for the correct result, one point for the correct – or sorry, three points for the correct score, one point for the correct result. Uh, we're going to start uh, with you, Adam, uh, looking at Bordeaux versus Nancy. Uh, Bordeaux have been much more solid at the back since losing 4-1 to Toulouse, a result that looks better by the week given Toulouse's start to the season. Uh, Nicolas Palois has been hugely, was hugely impressive last weekend, but his partner, Igor Levchuk, has been a great find in general. Are they Girondin, European contenders? with this improved defense, or is there still something missing? Um, I still think the European contenders, yes, but I think that there's going to be a lot, uh, there's still a lot to work on. If you look at their squad, I think it's, I think it's at least the fourth best in the league. I don't know, they could challenge the other Monica, but I think it's the fourth best. I think that almost quite comfortably, actually. And we guys like Jeremy Tulalon, Jeremy Menez, Diego Rolland, Adam- international class strike. Adam, your 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 uh, your microphone's really uh, struggling right now. I, I wondered if you can. Oh, is, is this any better? Yes. Okay, I'll stay. Okay, I'll stay with this. Um, yes. So, um, Diego Rolon, as I said, is an class striker. They've got both Jeremys, who, who are both you know league and pedigree in France caps, but between them, uh, Adam Unes coming through, Malcolm coming through. Um, but defensively, they've looked far better. With Nicola Powell has been a been a revelation for them since he joined. He's been fantastic last season and and this season when he was injured, there was a massive difference with him out of the side. And uh, as you said, that the, the Polish lad that's come in has been. At, like, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his surname. I'm going to call him Igor from now on. Um, but he, he's been fantastic. Reads the game really well. Covers for Nicola Powell brilliantly, and they're a good little partnership. So I think. That's sort of an area of the team that's kind of become established. The Carousel back in goal is a really good shout from, from, from Gorvanek. And Sabley's a good right back, a very good league and right back, and Contenta can be solid when he wants to be. But the, the, for me, the problem is those bigger players that have come in, like Toulon, Menez, and perhaps even Diego Roland sometimes, although he's been there a while. But then underperforming, I think there's still a lot of form to find um, from those sorts of players that if they're going to push for Europe, if they're going to push for top three, perhaps, which you know, isn't, isn't beyond the runs of possibility with the squad they've got, I think that they need more from Menes and Toulon in particular. All right, Toulon's been injured and he's only really played, what, four league games, I think, so far. But even so, he hasn't stood out like he did in preseason, where I thought he was brilliant. I really thought, obviously, he's a very good player. We know he's a great player. But I really thought this is, real, this is a real coup for Bordeaux to sign him, even though he's, what, 32, 33 now. I, I, that was a huge thing for them. But Menes has, has, has also struggled when he, since he's come in. I think he's, he's only shown flashes of the class that he's got. So I really want to see more from those two and perhaps Diego Rolan as well. So there's definitely potential there. They've got a great squad, but I still think in those those new signings, those key players need to perform if they're going to make that jump. All right. And what about Nancy? You wrote this week on the site that you see the side being more competitive since switching to a five-man defense. But is that the product of a general optimism, or do you honestly feel that they they have a, a point to prove in, in this uh, French top-flight season? Um, I, I think they've definitely got something of a point to prove. I think they started a season 
they looked very open at the back. They looked like a little bit out of their depth. I think I made the comparison in our our our, um, our column, Eric, about the our league and review. That I made the comparison with Trois, who came up last season, didn't were unable to make too want to were unable to make too many signings due to financial restrictions, um, and they continued to play the same way they had in League Two. And although we've talked about League Two players coming up to League and and abroad, perhaps like there's a few in the Premier League, Riyad Mahrez being the obvious one, that there is class in, there's quality players in League Two, but the standard overall in terms of um, the, the squads and the teams in general, is there's a big jump. So Twarkin used to play like they were League Two champions. They were too open, they were too brittle. Their defence, although they had a lot of injuries, but their defence was far too weak and they had no protection from central midfield areas and got beaten repeatedly, although they weren't playing by any means the worst football in the division. They were they were decent on the ball, decent going forward and had some creative players, but just couldn't compete. Whereas Nancy, when they came up, looked very similar, especially that game against Leon, where they got beaten 3-0 at home, Lacazette on form in that game. They just looked out of their depth. There was, they were too open. There wasn't enough protection for the back four. But I think Carreras realised that he needs to adapt his tactics. They're not the best team in the league anymore. They obviously they they need to they need to be more defensive. They need to counter attack more. Needs to pace of the players they've got wide, which they have they have some decent attacking players. Was they're unpredictable, but they can cause fullbacks problems. So sort of switch that five man defence. So that it was I think the first thing they did it was um, was the week they went to Bastia. They got a draw, which is a very difficult place to go. So they they did all right. That was obviously proved its worth there, and he's continued. So they've adapted, and they look like although they're bottom of the league. I'm still not unsure whether they've got the class to stay up, but they've got more of a chance than Tua did because they're a bit more pragmatic about the way they play their football. So hopefully for them, their season will be a little bit better than, than the previous League of Champions upon their promotion. Right. Uh, let's get your prediction then. Or Bordeaux 2-0. Okay. Uh, Peter? I'll go Bordeaux 1-0. Ethan? 3-0 uh, Bordeaux. All right, I'll give Nancy some credit here. Uh, how about 3-1? Uh, okay, we're moving on now to Angers versus Toulouse, two very informed teams. Peter Angers are in good form despite the loss of Billy, Billy Ketko, Ketko, Ketko Fumphone on the right. Uh, what has changed for Stefan Moulin's team in recent weeks, and do they have what it takes to hold off Toulouse? Well, uh, I think the most obvious thing is that Jeju's finally scoring. Um, obviously, came with a, a lot of promise from Ligue 2 after such a fantastic season. Um, and he didn't have a great start. Um, fairly stuttering, but here we go. Uh, he's finally starting to get some goals. And this is probably due to an increase in service. I think that now that uh, Angers are starting to get a little bit more settled in their starting lineup each week, um, that he's just trying to start to settle in a lot better. And I think his, his partnership with Tuka Kambe as well is really, um, really developing well. Um, I think another thing that's changed for them is that they're cutting out mistakes. Uh, a lot of Angers' goals uh, they've conceded so far this season have, have been silly goals um, and lapses in concentration. And I think this this change in mindset is, is probably due to the inclusion of some of uh, Angers' more senior players. Uh, Shekandoy, obviously, and Mangani are slightly older um, veterans, if you like, for, for Angers, but they provide such um, experience in the game and, and, and a a sort of level of organisation that perhaps other players like Santa Maria don't offer. Um, maybe he does, maybe I'm being harsh, but I think that's something especially from Mangani that, that he offers to that game. So I think their experience is, uh, is really shining through now and, and hopefully they can start to propel themselves in the right direction. All right, Adam, Ola Toivonen is available again after serving his suspension, but should Duprez make any changes this weekend or should the 11 that beat Monaco keep their places? Um, that's an interesting question because Ola Toivonen is a... 
in, in, in this league, he's a, he's a very, very useful player and he's proven his worth before he got injured the last couple of games. We were, we were talking about him after that Lille game. Oh, sorry, he wasn't injured, he was suspended. Before that Lille game where they, they went to Lille and won and he was fantastic in, in that game. So I think for me, although they were brilliant against Monaco um, last last week, I would just, if I was surprised, I'd still want to play my best team. And I think Arlo Toivonen is in his best team. It's just where he makes the adjustments because Oscar Trejo has been great. He's been a man reborn under Depraz, really. He was anonymous under Damian Bradley last season. And since uh, Depraz has come in, he's really revitalized him and he's been a really crucial player. And he was fantastic for long stretches against Monaco. So it's whether you move Trejo out, Trejo out wide and, or, or you drop him into center field and then perhaps Silla drops out or Bodega drops out. Um, Personally, I think as, as much as I like Jan Bodega, maybe Trejo should drop into midfield and, and Bodega could, could drop out for this game and we'll put Toivonen behind Braithwaite where he's been successful so far. Um, so I, I'd like to press to, to play his, his strongest side for this for this game. So it's obviously a repeat of the, the, fan, the fantastic 3-2 for the end of last season. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, and I, I think if they went that more attacking way, I think they, they could get Angers here, although they, I'm sure they've been brilliant in, in the last few weeks. And um, they look like the Angers of old. So I'd like to see Depraz go over his strongest team, but it's just whether he makes that decision to drop one of the wider players or, or, or Bodega. But I think Toivonen should play. All right. So, Peter, your score prediction? I am going to go for 2 1 to Angers. Okay. Nathan? Yeah, this is going to be a good one. I'm going to go 3 2 to lose. All right. And uh, myself, I'm going to go for a 1 1 draw. Adam? <laughs> I wanted 3 2 to lose because that was the score <laughs> last season. So I'm going to go um, 2 all, I think. 2 all. All right. It's the revenge. Yeah. The Nathan's <laughs> revenge. All right. So uh, coming out of you now, Nathan, we're going to talk about Caen, uh, who are hosting Saint Etienne. Uh, they lost in perhaps frustrating fashion to 10 men Montpellier last weekend, but we did see a rejuvenated performance from Hervé Basile, who came off the bench. We've talked before about this team needing a spark. Can he be that player that he was two seasons ago, be that spark? Possibly. You're absolutely right. When he came on in that game against Montpellier, he was real uh, live wire. He added an extra dimension that we'd said that Khan seemed to be missing. They didn't seem to have someone who would get at teams and try something different, but he wanted to dribble. He was willing to attack. He was willing to give an extra dimension to this con team that have, have really struggled to really put something together and he put a, a nice little ball in for Ivan Santini to finish off as well to make it 2-2 and at that stage with um, two minutes later when Steve Mooney was sent off for his second booking you think well Connor in a absolutely superb position here to try and go on and win it but instead that man Casimir Ninga instead uh, had other ideas but um, they'll Montpellier themselves will be disappointed he's going to be out for, for a I think it. I believe it was about six months I was reading, so that's a real hammer blow for them. But um, as for Caen, yeah, I, w- I would give him the start because uh, what do you have to lose at the moment? <laughs> the, the point, Con don't really have anything that is um, outstanding. I've seen, I've seen them play a few times. I think Santini at least will get you goals if you get him service. That's the big thing, and that's getting in the service. Uh, Ferre's not been as good as he usually is. Um, I've been impressed by Caramo occasionally, but he was poor in that game against Montpellier, and, and Basile coming on for him really gave them a bit more impetus. Um, I prefer to see Rodolan a bit closer to the striker as well. He, he's not being as effective as he was last year because he's he's not in the box often enough for me or, or in and around that area. He's, he's been pushed further wide. Um, but they just need a little bit more. They, they need to 
tighten it up a little bit more, I think, as well defensively. I think Yaya and, and now Damian De Silva has been pushed further back, back into the centre-back area. They need to be a bit sterner and a bit more um, stubborn as, against teams because they allowed someone who, who like Casimir Ninga, who's, who, in fairness, was in excellent form. But you you can't give him the kind of space and time to turn and and create chances for himself. Sometimes it almost seemed, um, and the space in behind. So there's a lot for Con to work on because, but at least in this one, it looked like they were creating something going forward. Because if you can't create going forward and you're giving goals at the back, it's a it's a definite recipe for disaster. So yeah, give give. Um, Bazile the chance to try and risk of that form where he scored seven goals and uh, three assists two seasons ago. See if he can recapture that little bit of uh, magic um, because he he did do he did give them an extra dimension in this one. And yeah, um, what what's he got? To, what have Con got to lose at the moment? What about Sante? They have finally gained the fitness back in the squad, uh, except the Roman Amuma. Uh, but their focus still seems to be on Europe. Is Galke getting the balance wrong with only three wins from nine matches? Or is this just the Sainte condition, if you will? It's a little bit of both. I mean, we've already mentioned the injuries that they've had and the, the lack of squad depth because of that. And you, we mentioned that you have to focus on one or the other and they've gone for Europe. Um, it's kind of not worked fully as they wanted to. But at the same time, they've been getting away with a few games in, in Liga as well. That the the game against Dijon, Dijon score a, a nice little goal, and then uh, part of the trenches, dig ourselves in, and pray to the gods that nothing else happens. Um, it almost did. They almost got incredibly lucky and, and held off Santetien, who really struggled to create really anything of meaningful until the last minute, where they get a questionable penalty. I, I'm still not. I still can't decide whether I'm for it or against it, but. Uh, Nolan Rue dispatches it superbly and it really rescues them. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange one because what does he do here with where Santatiana sat in the table? They're not, you know, in in that sort of ninth place. They're not enormously far off everyone else. So that everyone is in that in a big glut between that fifth place and an eleventh. They're all about a point separating them. So. A win's important, but also it's not going to be the end of the world necessarily because not everyone's going to run away from them um, and they're not going to be in any, any trouble. But without a midweek game, you want to try and go for this one. But at the same time, with a Thursday game, you've not got the, the time for the energy. You've already mentioned that probably the most the creative outlet in Hamuma, um, that's a, still a disappointment because you've mentioned Tanan. He's not in the best of form. Um Mone Pake is a measure of frustration as well. Someone who gets in excellent positions but can't seem to deliver the right pass. So uh, Galtier needs to find a nice mix. His ideal game will be Saint-Étienne score early, then they can just thank the gods and sit back again and play like Saint-Étienne tend to play, which is uh, defensively. But um, whether they can do that against Con, if Con can find that extra spark in someone like Basile... Um, after a Thursday night game as well, I'm not so sure. Your prediction then? I'm going for a one-all draw. Oh, classic sense of 10 scoreline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, myself, I will go for a uh, 1-0 Sente win. Uh, Adam? Uh, 0-0. And Peter? I'm going to go 2-1 Khan. 
All right, so we're coming on now to our final match, and it is uh, one of the biggest matches in, in French football. That's uh, Marseille's trip to PSG. Uh, Peter Marseille are making the headlines today with the appointment of Rudy Garcia. Now, this team has a lot of great uh, attackers, Alexa Tovan, Cabea, uh, Gomis, when they're all in form, that is. Uh, but is the former Roma man style, that all-out attackingness that is, potentially disastrous given the team just only, only seem to just be finding their feet defensively? Yes, potentially. I mean, admittedly, I didn't see much of Garcia at Roma. Uh, I, I'm not sure precisely why. I think he played four-three-three, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not massive, massively knowledgeable on that. But one thing I do know about him, or from what I've heard anyway, is that he has a lack of a plan B. Now Marseille is going to be a, a difficult task as it is. He's got some interesting characters in that team. Um, I, I do wonder as well if he'll, he'll potentially change the captain because um, personally I've got a real problem with the captain of a football club being somebody who actively wants to move away. Um, so he's got a lot to deal with already and you would wonder that if the team don't adapt quickly to the style that he wants to play, this all-out attacking 4-3-3, then things could go very badly because I'm not sure quite how Garcia will adapt and change things. But perhaps I'm being harsh. He's he's obviously had success in Liga in the past with Lille. Um, so, yeah, I think the main thing to take from this appointment at the moment is that for the first time in a, in a very long time, there's a lot of positivity around Marseille at the moment, and I think that makes for a nice change. All right. Adam, do Loam have a chance here with PSG likely to play a rotated side, or is the golf in class between these two teams simply too much at the moment? I, I think they have a chance. I think for their for their they do they have a chance. Sorry, they for the first game of Rudy Garcia in charge. I think if you look at the on paper, they're a decent side. Their front six is actually pretty decent, especially if they can get their the first choice eleven out. And with PSG having some issues, all right, they're at home, so they're going to be very difficult to beat. But with having some issues with Emery um, still settling in, the player definitely looked like they're in transition. We saw bars were causing problems from from wider areas. I think there could be a sort of swell of a sweat of sort of uh, impetus from, from Marseille. And I really think that they can cause some PSG some, PSG some problems here. I think it depends a lot on, on how, how the Parisians play. Obviously, if they do rotate their side, that could play into Marseille's hands. But I really think they've got a shout here, Marseille. And, and despite their kind of average form so far, two fans have been impressive. Gomez is getting the goals. Yara is back in the side. The defence doesn't look as leaky as I thought it might be. So, yeah, I, I think Marseille could, could at least uh, push PSG. They might not get the win, but a draw isn't by any means unlikely. All right, and coming out of you now, Nathan. Uh, finally, with Frank McCourt buying Marseille, do you see a way that this match could be what it was four or five years ago? Or are we accepting that Low M are another mid-table side for the foreseeable future? Um, it's this match isn't going to be what it was four or five years ago um, on Sunday. That's for guarantee. But in the future, um, it depends on how much he's willing to put in because um, there's no doubt that the Paris Saint Germain machine will keep going. Whether the Marseille one will decide to try and catch them um, is another thing. I think we could probably expect another season at least of, of probably a, a mid-table side, but steadily improving, hopefully under um, new management in Rudy Garcia, who at least is a step up from what they've had um, in the more recent past at least. And hopefully there's a bit of investment. Hopefully it's smart investment as well to the right kind of players, maybe young Ligue players that they know they can improve. Or, or young players from across Europe, and and like you mentioned on the main show on the, on Monday, that having that similar model to Monaco of of building a squad from 
from getting young, talented people to buy into the system. Um, hopefully, then that can make this to a point where they make it to a game where it's really competitive again. But whether it's going to be something like it was four or five years ago ever again, unless he spends real big money and Marseille also can keep hold of the talent they grow, which is another question entirely, then probably not. I don't I don't know if we'll see it ever again with the amount that Paris Saint-Germain have really pushed themselves over the bar um, to that echelon of um, f- that European football, at least at the moment, is of, of being a real heavyweight. So, um, the answer in the end is a no, unless unless he gets a little bit silly with it. Uh, no. All right, we'll do score predictions. I'll go for a three-one home win for the champions. Adam, two-one PSG. All right, Peter. Oh, sorry. I think I just cut out a minute there. Yeah, um, your score, your score prediction. Go ahead. I, sorry. I, I, yes, that's okay. Um, I can't see anything but a PSG win, if I'm totally honest. Um, I think Garcia will have an impact, but maybe not in this short space of time. Um, so I'm going to go for a 3-0 PSG. 3-0. Okay, Nathan? I'll go for a Peter Bowler special of 5-0 PSG. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to get a share of the points if that happens? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, that's all for this week. Uh, I've been Eric Devin with Nathan Staples, Peter Bowler, and Adam White. Please do follow us on Twitter at the GFFN Show and at GFFN. To stay up to date with all the latest from around League on French football. We'll be back on Monday with uh, the regular show at uh, 8 p.m. UK time, 9 p.m. European Standard Time. Thank you and have a pleasant weekend.